Not many of our guests almost took a job at the FBI. But for Meredith Black, head of design operations at Pinterest, the same skill set that would make you a great secret agent also happens to overlap with the skills that it takes to successfully head up a design operations team. Design Ops is on the mind of a lot of companies as they scale their design teams. And in this episode of the designbetter.co podcast, we speak with Meredith about what the heck Design Ops is and why, like Hansel, it's so hot right now. We also chat about when a design team might know that it's time to start investing in Design Ops and some advice for those who are in the beginning stages of forming an ops team. So get ready to nerd out on design operations Enjoy this episode of the podcast. So we're big fans of Gusto, who make it easy to run payroll, set up healthcare and other benefits for your business. They've made setting up the HR infrastructure for Design Better a breeze. Gusto is also one of the best design SaaS tools out there. Design Better listeners get three months free once they run their first payroll. Just go to gusto.com slash design better. We'll tell you more about them later in the show. We're really excited to have Meredith Black head of design operations at Pinterest on the show today. Uh, as head of design operations, she's responsible for the day-to-day ops of the product design team. She works with design directors and the head of design on all resourcing, recruiting, talent management, org design, and education initiatives. Meredith introduced the role of producer into Pinterest's product and brand teams, and she now manages the producer team under product design. Prior to Pinterest, Meredith was a client manager and product strategist at IDL, producer at Hot Studio, and a program manager at Facebook, where her colleague, Courtney Kaplan, said that she is part secret agent, able to unearth the right information, facts, people, and connections at just the right time. Meredith Black, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That's a whole lot of stuff that you're juggling at, uh, at Pinterest. I'm exhausted just from <laughs> just hearing it. <laughs> it's, it's been quite a whirlwind, that's for sure. It's been it's been quite a uh, interesting three and a half years. Yeah. So let's let's take a step back before we we talk about what you're doing at Pinterest and um, look at your your origin stories in your career because I think that's pretty interesting and in how it ties into what you're doing today. It probably has a significant um, plays a significant role. Um, so you you were at IDEO, you were at Hot Studio, Hot, both really highly respected agencies, um, and agencies kind of work different than uh, differently than uh, product design companies. And so getting your perspective on that will be interesting. But uh, after that, you you moved into this um, you know digital product um, co- you know companies like Facebook and Pinterest. So tell us the story of your um, these early positions that you had and. How did that influence what you're doing today? Definitely. Um, you know, it's it's interesting because growing up, basically both of my parents were in the creative industry, so I was constantly surrounded by um, advertising. And so I actually went to school to become an FBI agent, believe it or not. Um, and nice. Yes. And so um, I was really, really wanting to be an FBI agent. And funny, funny story happened is that while I was applying four positions with the FBI, I actually landed a job at IDEO. And so you think to yourself, okay, these are two completely different worlds. And the interesting thing was, is that IDEO works with multiple different clients, including, you know, some government agencies, like they helped Mm -hmm. with the um, security process to go through the airports at one point in time. 
Um, and so, the, you know, I was exposed to kind of all of these different types of projects and types of design work. And um, I started really falling in love with it. And I started falling in love with working with designers and helping solve big problems for big companies and small companies. Um, and IDEO has such a strong reputation. And, you know, uh, I definitely drank the Kool-Aid. Um, and uh, one day I was, while I was interviewing for the FBI, I started thinking to myself, huh, I really like this design world. I really like working with designers. And I kind of like where this is going. And believe it or not, I got a phone call from the head FBI agent at the Oakland FBI headquarters. And she called me and she said, hey, so I wanted to call you personally and let you know that we actually chose you for the position as an intelligence analyst for the FBI. Mm. However... Bush has flashed all of his funding, and we need people who have different skill sets, such as, you know, language skills and skills, you know, with the Middle East. And I was like, huh, okay, well, thank you for calling. She's like, I wanted to personally call and let you know this. And I'm sitting there in the pier, pier 28 of IDEO in the parking lot, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, everything happens for a reason, and I'm at a pretty good place in my career, and I'm building a career where I'm working you know, differently than I probably would be working at the FBI, but still solving problems and still working with people and still kind of unearthing um, how to make people's lives better just in a different mm -hmm. way. And so it was kind of that turning point for me where I decided to stay in design. Um, so, thank you, President Bush. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, George Bush. Um, and so from then on, I just kind of, I, I kept going the design path. And I, I had the great opportunity of working on, you know, some, some government opportunities with an IDEO that I can't talk about. But, um, you know, moving forward, I, I realized that the design was where my heart was and, and specifically working with designers to help them become better. And I think, you know, the role of design operations and the role of program management is to let the designers do the design work while somebody else does the rest. Somebody takes care of the rest whether it's the resourcing, whether it's the recruiting, whether it's getting the project management done, I think those are all really important elements that designers need help with so they can actually focus on what they do best, which is design. So fast forward to here at Pinterest, um, that's what I've been, that's what I've been doing, you know, and, mm -hmm. and I think shifting, like you had said, shift, shifting from consultancies and agencies over in-house, um, is a very interesting, it was a very interesting hurdle, so to speak. And I think part of it is that when you're in a consultancy, you have clients, you're on hard deadlines, you have a specific budget, um, and you have specific, you know, presentations that you're going to get and specific goals that you're working towards. And in-house, things are a little different. You know, your clients are sitting at the same pot of desks with you. You're, you know, your clients are now product managers and engineers and you're all driving towards the same goal of getting something launched within your company. And so it's how do you, I think, I think coming from a consultancy background has actually benefited greatly. And I actually hire a lot of people now from consultancies because they know how to work with clients. They know how to push deadlines. They know how to navigate the murky waters of uncertainty. Um, and they bring that in-house and they help kind of steady the ship, so to speak.
And they hustle more than anybody and else. They, and they hustle more than anybody else. You know, I like to use this example, and you can use this in the podcast or not, but people at an agency will do whatever it takes to get things done. If your creative director says, I need a donkey on set by 8.30 tomorrow morning, you will do whatever it takes to find a donkey and get it on set at 8.30 in the morning. That's right. Whether that is putting that donkey in your Honda Civic and like <laughs> borrowing it from somebody, you will get it there. There is no no, right? And so um, I think I think that's what makes this role so interesting in Silicon Valley is that there is a hustle. There is, there is a tenacity to get the work done. And, you know, the, the producers that I have here on the team of, you know, who I've pulled from design firms such as Method and from IDEO definitely show that they understand that, you know, this is hard work. We are going to get this done, but we're going to get this done together and we're going to do it in a different environment. So I love that. So when Courtney Kaplan said that you're part secret agent, she wasn't kidding. She wasn't, she wasn't messing around. <laughs> Courtney um, definitely knew my FBI aspirational goals. And, you know, it's funny, I was, I was this criminology and sociology major in college. And I actually think those majors were ideal for design operations because I feel like a lot of my job is unearthing what's going on, sensing how people are feeling, how to get projects done, how to navigate the storms, how to work with cross-functional partners. Um, you know, and kind of drive towards the same good. So it's, so, uh, yeah, I think, I think my mom might actually be okay with my, my, my major now, (laughs) or she probably wasn't before. (laughs) So just because design ops is so nascent and and probably new to a lot of our audience, and I personally don't know a ton about it. Um, you've already, you've talked about some of the, the really great traits that that a, that a good design ops um, person would have, but could you just generally define what, what design ops is and why it's, uh, important for companies that are, are growing their design teams? Absolutely. So I think, I think that is a, that is a very big question right now. And I think that a lot of different people have a lot of different opinions on what design ops is. And I think it ultimately depends on what stage of a company you are in. I would say that, um, it's going to vary based on whether or not you're at a banking company versus whether you're at a startup. But I think in general, design operations, the way I like to describe it, is, is partnering very closely with your design directors and your design managers to make sure that projects are running efficiently, that, op- that budgets are running on time, that the teams have the right resources to get things done, um, that uh, roadmaps are are you know, being complete, that you're working closely with cross-functional partners to make sure that design is has a seat at the table and that design is represented. And I think that's the most important is that producers and program managers, whatever you want to call them, they're kind of called both right now in the industry. They are responsible for making sure that design has a seat at the table and that design has input and that design isn't just a service organization. So that's 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 particularly interesting to us because you know the, this recurring theme that we hear from a lot of teams is that you know they they've got this challenge that they're so insulated and they're not plugged into the rest of the company. They they want to be more plugged in but they're not quite sure how to do it. Is that the key unlock that design ops brings to an organization? I believe so. I think you know when I started here at Pinterest, I was the first producer so to speak. And you know 
for me, that was quite risky coming from a company like Facebook that had already IPO'd, that was pretty stable. You knew Facebook wasn't going to go anywhere and to jump into the startup world. And for me, I came to Pinterest, A, because I absolutely love the product and I've been a pinner since the beginning. And so I understood the product and I understood what the mission was. And B, I wanted to get a chance to kind of expose this type of role to a startup company that was only 400 people at the time. And so for me, it was more being a chameleon at the beginning and working with the original 10 designers that we had and just mm-hmm. adding value, showing what value looks like and, and making sure that teams were running smoothly. And honestly, I think you know it varies at every company, but my approach was let me get in there first. Don't hire a bunch of people and then manage them and tell them what to do. But like, if you're going to start an organization, start with one person who's got kind of the tenacity to build the org out and who wants to build the organization out based on the business needs and what the design team needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, basically my goal here was to start out slow. So I started working with a couple pro- product managers and I'd say, hey, what are you doing? Where's your roadmap? Do you need a designer? And just started navigating, okay, well, we only have 10 designers. How are we going to do this? Let's split the work up. Let's see what we need. What's the What's the highest business priority? What do we need to get done? What's going to make the most impact right now at this point in time? And so I think starting to build those relationships with product management and with engineering and just showing them that there is a person within the design org that deeply understands the business side of things, but also has the ability to work and leverage and inspire creatives. And so... How, how do you kind of get that movement going? And so basically, I started out really slow, just kind of one project at a time. And then, you know, starting writing meeting notes and sending out invites and sending out, you know, project statuses at the end of the week. And that sounds so nascent and so like kind of 101 in terms of if you've been at a consultancy, of, co- of course, mm-hmm. this is like a, a no brainer. You do this every day, all day. Mm-hmm. And in these startups, it's brand new. They're like, wait a minute we're having one person take notes with next steps and action items and everybody leaves the room and they're clear that they know what they need to do. And, you know, we understand how many resources we have and when something's going to be delivered and when something's going to get shipped and launched. Wow. And so just kind of building on that and, you know, kind of spreading this, you know, kind of virally versus forcing it down people's throats, I think was really important is, I didn't come in saying, hi, my name's Meredith Black. I'm running Design Ops. This is how we're doing it. It's, hi, my name's Meredith Black. How can I help you? How can I help make impact on your team? And once one product manager and one designer realizes what you're doing with them, another one hears about it, and another one hears about it, and another one hears about it. And before you know, you're asked for more producers on the team because people start to find the real value in it. And they, they find that while product managers should be more strategic, and should be kind of like the mini CEO of that product. And the designer should be designing the experience. There's somebody in the middle supporting them. And there's somebody helping do everything else that needs to be done to get it done. And so I think, um, you know, for people starting out in this industry, or people starting out specifically with design ops, um, and I've recommended this to a handful of people, is to start slow and to start with one person. And I think there's a lot of hype around design ops, and I think people are getting really excited about it. But you want to build something that's sustainable, and you want to build something that you're going to be able to grow. And if you don't build it with the right people, 
Um, and of course there's trial and error, but if you don't build it on the basis of understanding the company and what the company needs, it's not going to be successful. So you kind of, you need to get in there and observe for a little while. Who, who is that right person that you, you choose to partner with? How did you make that choice? Um, what do you mean in terms of, you said, you, so to start design ops, you don't yeah. come in, you know, with, with an agenda, but you come in and you help. How do you know where the, the, the best place to start is? Yeah, it's a good question. Is there a certain, certain role or a certain type of person that you know I could start here and make some headway? Yeah, I mean, I, d I definitely think, you know, your head of design or your design directors is a, is a very good first start, right? And I think, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but those are probably also the people who want the head of design ops or who want the design operations people. So those are going to be easy wins. I think the I think the people that you're going to have to start working with to develop relationships and show real value with is cross-functional partners with your product managers and with the people leading engineering to show hey this is this is how design works. This is what our process looks like. I know it's a little different from probably what you're expecting, but this is what it takes to get things done and get things done right and thoughtfully for the ultimate user experience, which is ultimately going to make everybody successful. And so I think for me, it was partnering with product managers first um, to get them to understand the value of design as a partner and not as a service um, and to have them understand how designers work and that they don't work in a vacuum and that if you're standing over their shoulder telling them to pixel push, they won't do their best work. Um, and kind of being that buffer for designers and gaining trust and knowing that you're on their side. You want everybody to succeed here. And while you're buffering designers, you're also buffering the PMs a little bit too from the designers. And you're kind of the person in the middle saying, hey, I'm the rational one here. I'm looking at a high level view of what we need to get done and how we need to get it done. You know, I'm, I'm Switzerland, so to speak. And so I think building those relationships on both sides and having people know that you you aren't biased towards one or the other really can help build strong and powerful relationships that um, not only will get you noticed, but will, will have you become effective and have you make impact. Support for Design Better comes from Gusto, who make running a small business easy. Get three months free at gusto.com slash design better once you run your first payroll. I've run a few small businesses in my career, and each time I've set one up, the prospect of figuring out payroll and HR, it just freaks me out. But then I found Gusto. It's an incredible tool that Eli and I use to run our own payroll here at Design Better. Gusto made setup easy, and they even helped us sort out tax registrations with multiple states. Gusto is a brilliant tool. It's well-designed, and it's incredibly usable. Design Better listeners can get three months free once you run your first payroll. Just go to gusto.com slash designbetter. Can't recommend it enough. Support for Design Better comes from our friends at CrashPlan. Visit crashplan.com slash designbetter to sign up for a free trial and take advantage of one of their limited time buy one, get one offers. Let's do a little thought experiment together. Imagine for a moment that you no longer have access to your computer. Say you spill coffee on it. It has an unrecoverable crash or someone steals it. How much would a total loss of your data disrupt your work and your life? It would be significant, right? This is why you should be protecting all your work with an unlimited backup and recovery solution like CrashPlan. CrashPlan works efficiently in the background while you work, encrypting and sending all your new or changed files up to their secure cloud every 15 minutes. 
and they make it simple to restore some or all of your data. And with unlimited version retention, CrashPlan can also be your ultimate rewind button. I dropped my laptop on marble stairs just about an hour before stepping on stage at a big conference in Europe, and I lost my presentation. I didn't have a backup. CrashPlan would have saved me in that moment. Businesses of all sizes can benefit from CrashPlan's multi-tenant capabilities. Buy as many user licenses as you need, and then you can easily manage them all under one account. Just go to CrashPlan.com slash DesignBetter to sign up for a free trial. Try it out and see what you think. Take advantage of their limited-time buy-one-get-one offer for Design Better listeners. That's CrashPlan.com slash DesignBetter. Back up better with CrashPlan. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to Bluehost.com Wondersuite. That's Bluehost.com Wondersuite. So our, our listeners who are on design teams that are, are scaling right now, this is kind of a two-part question. First, how, how do they know when it's the right time to start investing in di- design ops? And then do you have any tips? You mentioned, you know, starting slow, which I think is great, but any other tips for, you know, kind of kind of growing the design team or the design ops team or some best practices around starting that team? I think when you're probably around five designers, you should probably get a design ops person. Um, I, that's ideal state. Whether or not that's realistic is another question. I started when we had 10, and I think that was pretty perfect. I got to know every single designer on the team. You know, there was there was not, it was a good starting point in terms of understanding how many projects needed to get complete. It wasn't completely all over the place. It was, it was a nice, slow start. So I would say, I would say, you know, when you hire a design director or a head of design, this person should be their partner in crime. You know, you expect the head of the design or the design director to be the one in the room doing the design critiques and really helping push the work forward. However, you're the one partnering to make sure that everything else is happening, whether it's resourcing, headcount, roadmaps, project planning. And so I think the earlier you get somebody in, the better it's going to be and the less catch up you have to do, so to speak, and the less um, advocating for the role you have to do. Um, in terms of the sweet spot for finding people in this role, you know, I've mentioned it before, but I think it's, I think it's really important for a person who's going to be in this role. And, and, you know, I've definitely had trial and error doing this now for the past three and a half years is, you know, understanding what, understanding what's going to work well within, within the team and within the company, you know, and, and I mean that by Pinterest is a startup. And and while we are much more grown up than we were three years ago, you know, there's a lot of change. There's a lot of, um, you know, switching the roadmaps. There's a lot of starting projects and stopping projects and and reshifting gears. 
and, you know, reshifting priorities of what's going to launch and what's not going to launch. And, and you need somebody who's going to be able to be okay with change and be okay with navigating change. And there's a lot of people out there who are wonderful producers who say, I love change. I want more variety in my work. I want, I want it to be more exciting, so to speak. And I tell you what, when, when you hire those people and they're the ones that say they want change and they want the variety, but they've never had it, there's usually like a panic that kind of sets in because they're wonderful at what they do. They, they're used to a very traditional producer role of, here's the five things that I need to do to get done to be successful at the end of the day. I know what I'm getting into the next morning. And coming into a startup, it's not like that. You know, Every day is different. Every day has different challenges. And every day your role slightly changes. You know, Whether or not a product manager is in the room or not, you've got to be the voice of reason for one side of the team and not the other. Or you know, whether your design leadership's in the room or not. And so you're representing design. And I think you need, you need to hire people who are really flexible and who can really flex their skills in terms of um, you know, cross-functional leadership and management. And they're okay getting in the trenches and they're okay with, ch- with constant change. Um, I've also noticed that um, for me, people who do come from consultancies has really been the sweet spot. Because again, they know the hustle. They know what it's like to have pressure and to have deadlines and run against a certain budget and a certain deadline. And while you're in these internal companies and you don't necessarily have tight deadlines or tight budgets the way that you do at agencies, you still have this tenacity and you still have this kind of, you know, go like go button that's kind of always on that um, that really helps. And, and to be honest, the, the producers that I've hired from Method and from IDEO and from RGA and from, you know, a bunch of agencies, um, they, they get that and nothing stresses them out because they've literally seen it all. You know, they've seen the clients call at seven o'clock in the morning asking, why isn't my website done? You know, they've, they've had the awkward conversations. They've, they've kind of, they've, they've seen it all. They've been through the battlefield, so to speak. And so when they get to a startup, it's, you know, it's a different, it's a different type of environment and one that they seem to really thrive in because it's, yes, it's still pressure, but it's, but it's all something that they know how to handle. They can handle it. They understand it. They get it. Um, does that answer your question a little bit? Yeah. 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 Uh, so let's talk about this role, uh, producer. Yeah. So those of us who are film buffs. At the end of every movie, the producer is is one of the first credits listed. And the notion of a producer in the product design world, it's pretty new. You don't hear it a lot, but um, speaking from experience, uh, even though a lot of design teams may not know what a producer is, I think all of them probably sense the the lack of of that that role. You know, pine for that role that someone would, like you said, uh, have clear action items and notes from meetings and and keep the keep the train on the tracks. Right. Um, so can you talk a bit about that producer? We talked, uh, as you talk about that role, you reference a lot uh, the agency world, that yeah. producers do exist in, in the agency. Why do we need producers now in, in product design? What's new? Yeah, I think that's a really great question. And I think I think right now is is it's it's definitely a um, it's a moment for producers and for design operations right now, 
inside companies. And I think the main reason that they are needed is, is that they, you can, you can run your teams more efficiently. You can run your teams and have organization and have, you know, points of contact who know what's going on and what's happening and reference tools and toolkits and project statuses and things that traditionally don't happen. But when you have those points of reference, whether it's, you know, one producer on each team or, you know, referencing, you know, pulling together like executive scorecards or pulling together um, project statuses or visual statuses weekly, it actually helps the team understand what's going on. And I think when your teams get bigger, the sad thing is, is that the less you start knowing about what your design colleagues are doing, right? I mean, when we had 10 people on the team, everybody knew what everybody was working on because it was a small team. But, you know, now we have 54 designers on the team and not everybody's going to know what everybody else is working on. And so I think having that glue, so to speak, to keep people connected and to make sure that projects aren't overlapping and to make sure that people are talking with each other to make sure that if experiments are going out, something you know, other teams are aware of it, it's going to make teams run smoother and run more efficiently. And it's also keeping the pulse on what's happening in one org and being able to communicate that out cross-functionally. So I think, I think, I think this role has, I've definitely seen this role pop up and it's, it's almost kind of trendy right now. Um, uh, which is, you know, why I'm so passionate about kind of putting a stake in the ground and helping define it. Um, so it does stick around and it does stay is that this is, it, this is, you know, a mix between a project management role and a strategic role, right? I mean, here at Pinterest, I definitely, and, and I think this is a little bit different than the agency world is that, you know, when I was in the agency world, I, I would, I'm a pretty opinionated person, so I would voice my opinions on products and say, hey, I don't understand this. I'm a user. I don't get this. Why are we doing it this way? But here, I really encourage our team and our producers to be just as strategic as they are executional on every project that happens. Because at the end of the day, they're users of the product as well. And if they don't get it and they're on the design team, then we've got a problem, right? And so we, you know, I definitely encourage the team to be very vocal and um, jump in and help about you know, what works, what doesn't work and how to make the product even better. Um, and so that's kind of what I'm encouraging around the industry as well is to, is that it's not just in it and, you know, it's not just an executional role, but it's executional and strategic and relationship yeah. building all at the same time. Absolutely. And there's just too few people, especially as a company scale, um, scales up, it, it, there's, there's just not too many people that understand the big big picture and can kind of connect the whole thing together in, in a broader narrative. And, you know, there's silos of knowledge. Um, there's uh, kind of gaps in what what may have happened in the past and what's happening now and what's happening in different teams. And without that connective tissue, uh, the whole thing just falls apart. It sure does. I mean, you know, we've, you know, we've, We've evolved our tools as well over time. Um, I'm sure people are interested to hear. Like, I actually, I, I send people kind of mock-ups of, of what we use here at Pinterest all the time just to help them. Because, again, I don't believe in recreating the wheel. And I think we're, if we're all going to help grow this role together, we should do it together and 
learn from each other and build from each other. And, you know, some of the tools that we do that we work on is we have a visual status. So every week, all of the producers pull together, uh, you know, a mock up of what of what everybody is working on. And then once a week, we get in the room with the design managers and the design directors and we walk through every project. The goal is for it not to be a critique, but it's the goal is to get the right people in the room to talk about what's being worked on or what's being shipped so we can ask those questions. Hey, did you know about so-and-so? Is this going to affect, you know, this part of the product? Is this going to affect this part of the product? Um, and it's become a really strong tool and something that everybody really looks forward to because we catch we catch things before they get out the door and we catch things before they even get out of design. Um, you know, other tools that we use is, um, you know, we're, we're huge fans of Envision, obviously, and we use a lot of the prototyping tools. Um, and our team uses a lot of the prototyping tools to prototype a bunch of stuff before we start building it, you know? And so that's a quick, fast, you know, execution type way to get things done without um, having to involve engineering right at the beginning. Um, other things we use is, you know, like, you know, traditionally producers love a good Gantt chart and whatnot, but we started using, um, you know, like smart sheets and spreadsheets to track resourcing and to track financing. So now we have meetings all about resourcing. When you get to a size of 54, what does resourcing look like? Where, how, like, you know, what, what are people's skill sets? And so just kind of having these like main points of, um, like these databases almost of understanding what people's skill sets are, what projects they're on. And then if another project comes along, how we assign a different person to a different project based off of their skill set, we're building all of these tools. So that way we have all of it. And so it's, you know, I think the bigger we get, the more tools we need and the more robust tools we need. But, you know, just starting out with a simple project status and starting out with a visual status goes a long way. It gets designers comfortable with sharing their work it gets um, other cross-functional organizations comfortable with understanding what's design doing so they don't feel like design's just sitting over in a corner designing in a box and they don't know what's going on. And so I think, you know, the important thing is, is to create tools that create visibility and create um, awareness. And I think without producers doing that, there wouldn't be those tools because designers still have to design, right? Um, and if designers are spending part of their day working on statuses or giving updates and not designing, then they're either at their desks a lot longer in the day or they're not getting their work done. Um, so yeah, so I think, so I think a lot of the tools are, are really important and I think I'm, I'm really excited to kind of collaborate with the, with the rest of, you know, the design ops team to see, you know, is, is there, is there other tools out there that we can make or that we can even build that can kind of help with this brand new role, right? I mean, we're starting the role, we're defining the role. Why can't we define how, what we use and how we use it? Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. I love all the, the tools that you shared. And before we, we started the recording, um, you were talking about this kind of emerging design ops community back behind you, you have some org charts sketched out <laughs> from a recent meeting. So we were curious to to hear a little bit about what what are you learning from from these other companies? Oh gosh, I think you know you know as I was as I was saying earlier, um, I had we had Pinterest hosted last night a design ops meetup on the West Coast, and we had companies from Capital One, Lyft, Condé Nast, Twitter, Uber, you name it, they were all in the room, and it was the first time I think 
um, other than the Design Ops Summit um, that happened in New York in November, it was the first time where we actually got a bunch of people in the room who all do the same thing and who want to talk about standardizing and standardizing things, but also want to talk about navigating what this role is and navigating what this exactly means in all these different sized companies. Um, and I think the one thing that we all learned and, and after two hours of everybody drawing out their org charts on the whiteboards um, and, you know, how producers work with designers and how designers work with cross-functional partners um, the one thing that we all, there actually, there were quite a few things that we all noticed is one, doesn't matter what size of company you are in the design world, you constantly are reorging. It, it became a joke. We started tallying up how many reorgs had happened. And essentially it was like 15 out of 15 reorgs had just happened. So how do you navigate the reorg, right? How do you navigate the ever growing, um, you know, need for change, especially when you're building teams, of course, you're going to have to reorg, but you know, there's a human aspect involved to that too. So how do you marry the human aspect of a reorg with what the business needs are? So that was a big point of conversation. Another one, and I'm, I'm looking at the board is, um, cause I wrote these questions down is everything from, you know, how do you, how do you staff projects properly or how do you advocate for this role properly cross-functionally or how do you get the headcount for this or how do you ask for the headcount for this type of role? Um, you know, what, what are the different types of communication methods you use? Um, you know, how do you, how do you map and document things so there isn't fragmentation? And, you know, all of these were all questions that every company had, no matter if they had 46,000 employees or 100 employees. And so it actually, we all kind of paused in the room. There were about 35 of us. And we all paused in the room and kind of smiled and looked at each other and said, A, thank God we're here together so we can figure this out. And B, you know, there's comfort in knowing that nobody's figured it out yet. And there isn't that magic solution. So let's do it together and figure it out. Um, and it put a lot less pressure, I think, on everybody in the room, knowing that it doesn't matter what size company you are, these problems are consistent across the board. And it's now that we've identified them, it's how can how can we fix them as a larger group, right? That's, that's fantastic. So um, tied to your earlier comment about tools, we're, we're curious about um, some of the resources, you know, books or blogs that you've found helpful over the years as you've honed your skills as a producer and, and design ops manager? Um, definitely. Um, I laugh because I just read a um, hostage negotiation book and I was like, wow, this is completely <laughs> applicable. Um, <laughs> goes, goes back to the FBI again. <laughs> <laughs> back to the FBI. But it really was applicable because it's like, how do you negotiate with people? You know? And I was like, well, there's no other extreme than hostage negotiation. Um, but in all seriousness, I think um, you know, the one book that I think has become everybody's Bible is Kristen Skinner and Peter Merholtz's book, um, Org Design for Design Orgs. Um, you know, there isn't a lot of information out there. There are, there are a few people writing, you know, some, some chapters and books, and there's a few people, you know, writing some blog posts. But I think, I think the one source of truth right now is actually Peter and Kristen's book. Um, and you know, everybody who reads it, no matter what size of org they're in, it, it, it relates to them because it, it helps navigate. How do you design a reorg? You know, how do you, how do you navigate that? Um, otherwise, you know, there aren't a lot of resources out there. There aren't a lot of tools and it's, it's honestly been meeting with people. It's going and talking to people and see how things are being run 
or sharing ideas or sharing templates or, you know, hey, this is this has worked for me. Maybe this will work for you. Right. Or, you know, talking to companies who are interested in design ops and hiring design ops and, and, and saying, hey, maybe this is a good starting point for where you're at. Like, let's let's keep talking about this. So I think I think right now it's a lot of knowledge sharing and a lot of, you know, pulling from other people um, from different companies and kind of pulling in information because there is nothing out there yet. Right. And I think it's a perfect time to start something. Um, and it's going to constantly evolve just as design roles have evolved. Right. You have the UX designer and then the interaction designer, and then you call them a product designer. And I think honestly, the same thing's going to happen for people for roles and design ops. Um, but I think we're at the point where this is just becoming a starting point. So I wish there was more I could offer you other than go talk to as many people as you can and read Kristen and Peter's book. And if you want the hostage negotiation book, we can talk offline. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, it's challenging. But it's an exciting time and it's exciting it to is. see design as a function inside of big companies uh, maturing. And, and I think that's, you know, to, to bring us full circle here. That's really why design ops is such a key thing at the moment in our industry that, uh, you know, a lot of companies are investing in design. And as they do yeah. it, the organization scales. And as it scales, it's got to operationalize, become more efficient and plug into the rest of, of the company. So it's, uh, it's exciting. And we're so happy that you are uh, so willingly sharing and developing community around uh, the, the topic of design ops. So... Meredith Black, thank you so much for being on the Design Better podcast. Thank you so much for having me. 